Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 167 called John. Hello, everybody. This is Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally. And we are here to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we can support you on your infertility journey. So we wanted to let you know that Fertility Rally is the membership group that we created. It's the place we wish we had when we were in the thick of it. We offer support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have tons of events, lots of videos, blog posts, so much content. We're starting to do IRL events as well. And we want to be there for you no matter where you are on your journey. Yeah, our favorite part, we had no idea where this would go when we started it. And our favorite part about it is watching all of our members, which is like 300 plus at this point, connect and create true lifelong friendships. We have members that are meeting up in real life. We have members that are supporting each other on Instagram. We have members that call each other best friends now. And honestly, like that is the most rewarding thing to see. We had no idea it would go here. And so we're just... We're inviting you to join the Rally Fam. Yeah, it's such a great space. It's a safe space. We also have fun when we can. So we would love for you to be a part of it. Check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at Fertility Rally. Hope to see you guys soon. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code Alley 15 you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code Alley 15 A-L-I-1-5 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. Okay, guys. So today we have a really interesting story. I'm talking to John Smothers, who is 71 years old. He is a businessman who lives in Lubbock, Texas, and he is going to talk about how he and his wife, Gail, in the 70s and 80s, were having infertility problems. It took them seven years to have their first child, as a matter of fact. And so they were intimately familiar with the trauma of infertility, And then when Gail passed away of breast cancer in 2018, one of the last things she said to him was, do whatever you can to help other couples. So he's going to talk about his journey with his wife, and he's going to also talk about the invention that he helped create, which is called the Reproductive Solutions Protex Sperm Collection Cup, and how that all came about because of his own infertility story. So... Once again, it's someone who, you know, turned their pain into their purpose, and I'm going to let him tell you all about it. So without further ado, this is John's infertility story. So thank you so much, John, for doing this today. It's great to talk to you. Great to talk to you. I appreciate the opportunity to share my story with you. Of course. So let's start at the beginning. Did you always want to have kids? Yes. <laughs> that was a long answer. Right? Yes. This is going to be a short uh, interview. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things in the, the background. I'm Catholic. Uh-huh. That'll uh, be a factor in some of the comments a little later on. Okay. I went through uh, through high school and parochial schools. 
that's where I went. I actually met my wife in third grade. Oh, wow. If you can imagine that. Sure. Uh, she didn't catch my eye till I was uh, a, a sophomore. <laughs> okay. My but, husband and I are high school sweethearts as well. We started dating when we were 16. Yeah. Yeah. So the. Just a few uh, years ago, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and people may want to know this about me. I'm 71 years old. Okay. Excellent. Uh, uh, my, yes, we always wanted to have kids. Um, we got married in college. And then as we finished up, we decided that we wanted children. Uh, but we had difficulties with that happening. And this is back in the late 70s, early 80s. There mm-hmm. wasn't much around to help in terms of assisted reproduction technologies that really hadn't been developed yet. Right. So, uh, most of our journey was just through the OBGYN. Okay. And, uh, seven years before we had our first child, it turned out being a condition of end- endometriosis and it was a surgeries that finally corrected things. Uh, The good part of the story is that we had two boys, uh, Steve and Ryan. Uh, I'm fortunate that that both of them have businesses and they live here in Lubbock. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition to the two boys, there are four grandchildren and I get an opportunity to to see them growing up, which is a a really super thing. That is cool. Yeah. Can we backtrack um, a bit, John, and just talk about sure. what the landscape looked like in terms of fertility back in the late seventies and early eighties, like you said. So, you know, I'm imagine people weren't really talking about this stuff, right? Was a lot of this kind of hush, hush behind closed doors. Yeah, very hush. Uh, and there, there were uh, different areas of research that were going on. Uh, nothing though was really available as a fertility expert. The OBGYN we used was considered knowledgeable in in terms of infertility, uh, but there wasn't really a specialist to go anywhere. Right. So there weren't like reproductive endocrinologists or anything like that at the time. No. And from the the male side, back then, uh, this was something that you didn't talk about. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's pretty much the same today. And back then, uh, the process of uh, collecting a sample wasn't sophisticated, uh, and to a large degree, it hasn't been today either. Process is still pretty much the same. You know, uh, masturbate and and do a collection. Mm-hmm. Use whatever kind of container you could find at that point. Mm-hmm. Just I recall, we used a pill bottle, I think, and then it was a matter of you know rush to the rush to get it to the to the lab so that they could do analysis and uh, that kind of thing. So right. My experience with the collection, uh, there wasn't really an assisted technology procedure that was done. So it was just from the standpoint of uh, several analysis, just to determine if the male, you know, if I was part of the problem that needed to be treated. Uh huh. So was the issue, uh, I know you mentioned endometriosis ended up being one of the mm-hmm. causes or the cause, but was the issue th- that you guys were just trying and trying and nothing was happening when you were yes. trying to get pregnant? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I can remember not just the, the stress of going through that, but the the tears in, in uh, Bill's eyes when, you know, it didn't happen. Of course. And so that um, that's a, a very long uh, and really a lonely journey when there's uh-huh. nobody's talking about this. Right. So, uh, so you didn't have friends that you could talk to or family or like, obviously, there's no online community or anything like that at the time? Were there any like 
books or groups or anything that you could do, or was it just yeah, no, there wasn't? And all our friends had kids, mm-hmm. so it was uh, very stressful at the mm-hmm. time. And um, that is always that's always been in the back of my mind, and that's uh, one of the things that got me so passionate about uh, this particular technology when I saw it. That you know there has to be a way to to get it to market, and that's been a, a very long process. Of, uh, right. going through through that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we are going to talk about Protex and like at home yeah. collection and stuff like that, the benefits of it, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story too. So what, what happened? So your OBGYN was kind of, what were they telling you guys to do in terms of trying? Uh, just to keep trying. Mm-hmm. But the part of the problem in that is that uh, not in all cases, but in our case, the endometriosis also led to a factor of um, that intercourse was painful. Mm-hmm. So just to keep trying was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Right. So uh, we would try, but then we'd uh, have to back out off for a while and catch our breath, I guess, so to speak, hoping that something would, would present itself that we could get the problem solved. And when we had the diagnosis of the endometriosis and found out that there was a surgical procedures that could be used to hopefully correct that, that's when we really got excited. And uh, yeah. thankfully, it was a laparoscopic procedure. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In terms of recovery time, that really did speed things up. Of course, today in today's environment, there's lots of support groups and people are talking about this. And well, you're you're a very good example of that. <laughs> Thank you. That helps a lot, but yeah, you know, there's still, uh, you know, seven, eight million couples that are going through this all the time in the United States. And right. uh, a lot of them, uh, they can't afford the treatments, mm-hmm. so they need to have a place to, to go and to talk about it. And if there's anything that can be done to improve their chances, we need to be doing everything we can for them. Right. So after the the surgery and the endometriosis, was that kind of what did the trick for you guys? Then were you able to get pregnant? Kind of yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so how did that feel to finally, after all those years, finally uh, be able feel, to? It feels like that anvil that you're carrying on your back is, you know, finally lifted. Right. And uh, it's uh, as amazing as I, as I think back to it. You know the the great joy of knowing that we were going to have children, but it seemed like all the color came back, and everything I looked at, you know, everything was more joyous, and just felt like you were finally um, going to have to have the opportunity to be the full person that you hoped you could be in terms yeah. of a family. Okay, so let's talk about what happened when you met. I think you were introduced to two Texas Tech University researchers, right? Yes. Who had developed a semen collection cup for cattle, right? Is that what happened? Uh, yes. The, um, and the, the background to that, uh, at that time, which would be back in uh, the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, I, mm-hmm. I, a program for Lubbock Economic Development Alliance that was called the Lubbock Regional Bioscience Initiative. And it was mm-hmm. a, a monthly networking events where we were trying to bring together uh, researchers and investors and all the service providers trying to create jobs out of technology was the idea. Uh-huh. Uh, as, uh, as I was leaving the chairmanship of that program, I had met Dr. Sam Preen. He was attending these events and he came and he said, I'm, I'm going to talk to you. And he told me a little bit about his uh, technology. And he said, we really think that there's a great place for this in the market, but we know our place is in the lab. 
So, you know, need someone to, you know, help us take a look at it and see is there some way that we can can bring this forward. So I told him, well, yeah, I'd love to take a look at what they had. So I read through, it was uh, patented technology, I read through uh, what they had and talked to them about what had been tried. And it was developed initially for cattle, uh, given that this agriculture region, you know, the if there's some way you can uh, increase calves on the ground, mm-hmm. then um, economically it really makes sense for for uh, a cattle industry to be to using everything they can. Mm-hmm. And looked at it, but the the costs associated to try to sustain it at that just didn't look like the economic model was there to sustain. So I talked to them in terms of uh, have you ever really looked at the human side of this? And, you know, uh, I see the animal data and it's really impressive. Do you think that the data would be the same in humans? And uh, their response was absolutely. Mm-hmm. Pretty much a sperm is a sperm. And uh, so I said, well, you know, let's look at that. And, you know, if we see similar results and I think that's the way to go. And so we put together a, a small uh, FDA approved trial uh, with some couples to uh, see does this really make a difference mm-hmm. and, and it did and when I saw the the results that's when I got really excited and the human market if you can change things like a percent one way or another then you've got something right but what I was seeing wasn't a percent I was seeing 10 20 percent changes wow I thought, okay Man, this this is going to be you know it could be a game changer so yeah we need we need to really get on this and and start researching and do some other things. So we formed the company that was back in 2009 uh-huh. and continued the research and bringing it forward. And at this point, we were all bootstrapping the company. I was doing it on um, a part-time basis. I had an, another company that I was, I was running at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 2014, everything uh, just kind of went back on hold. Uh, and uh, that was because uh, my wife, Gail, had developed breast cancer. Yeah, and I'm so sorry. The focus was that, that that was the importance. I didn't have the the time after work to be doing these other things because uh, right. you know, that was what, it, what was important. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of went uh, not totally dormant. Um, right. But I couldn't afford to be putting any money into it because I had medical bills and uh, yeah. all that kind of stuff going on and uh, so uh, about the time she went into remission texas tech had started uh, a program called the innovation hub mm-hmm. it's a facility that for 20 years i had pushed to uh, put something like this t- uh, together a place that entrepreneurs could go to get the help they need to develop companies etc and um, i decided uh, i didn't know they had built it i'd kind of gotten out of that uh endeavoring i guess and mm-hmm. uh, they had and they were they needed mentors so i went to uh, i love helping people so i went and to be a mentor and in the process of being vetted they said what's this uh, company reproductive solutions right and so i gave them the quick story and they said well you know we're starting our first first cohort of companies you really need to put together a team and you know come in here and enter the competition so uh, I talked to my wife about it, and, and uh, she said, well, you know, we've always um, had dreams uh, about the 
technology helping people. So right. go, for it. go for it. So we, we entered the competition. We won the competition, the initial competition, which was uh, it's called i which is through the National Science Foundation. So we had a small grant that could let us begin to resurrect things. Then we entered the uh, accelerator program mm-hmm. and we won that. And then we entered the uh, the medical the medical school here. They had a President's Innovation Award. So we entered that competition. We won that competition. Right. So we had uh, some grants that came in to gave us uh, give us some footing. Uh-huh. And about that time, the cancer came back. Uh, she ended up within a year of uh, losing that battle. So she she passed away. And in the interim. So sorry uh, to hear that. The researchers became business people. Mm-hmm. At least a, a, a degree to keep things moving. A lot of us uh, full time as a caretaker, and so um, we did. During that same period, we did uh, get through our our first round of interaction with FDA so that we could get the product listed and mm-hmm. uh, market. And uh, we had just started that when uh, she passed away. And uh, one of the things I promised her was I would make this happen. Yes, I read that she had said one of the last things she said was do whatever you can to help those couples, which right. must have been just so much fuel for your 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 quest, right? I mean, that must right. have been. Yes. And so the uh, after she passed, uh, it's the kind of thing you can take this kind of risk if it's just you. Mm-hmm. I couldn't take the risk to go out there full time without getting paid. You know, if I'm taking care of someone else, but so that door kind of opened. Mm-hmm. Really, I had, had planned about that time to to be retired, and um, uh, all that changed. Uh, it seemed like in an instant. And so, one of the things that uh, in the graduation when we came out of the accelerator, that the comment that I made was that you know here I am at uh, sixty five years old and supposed to be retired, and now I find myself uh, a single parent with a daughter to raise up. And uh, her name is Reproductive Solutions. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So what was it that people were seeing that you guys were doing that w- that was so innovative? Like, what were you doing differently than had been out there before? The collection process today isn't much different than it, uh, than what I went through uh-huh. uh, back in the, the 70s. Uh, typically, the up until COVID, all the collections were done in the clinic. Mm-hmm. You give a guy a, a specimen cup, you know, what you use for urine samples. And right. You tell him to, to go in the room and, and produce a sample. Yeah. Uh, it's very, success, very stressful. Doesn't, uh, doesn't um, always happen even. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what we found when, when we looked at the collection process and, and basically the, uh, what was fueling this is, you know, why do we collect the way we do? And uh, the answer was basically because that's the way we've always done it. Yeah, because there's no other way, right? Yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been invented yet. And so the uh, we looked looked at it from the standpoint of okay, so if you're a sperm, what's the problem with its with the way it's collected today, and what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the uh, the answer comes down to this: that uh, there's a lot of bad things that happen to sperm. Uh, when the collection is made into a specimen cup, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's a, the, the the typical samples only like uh, two to three mils, mm-hmm. but barely will cover the bottom of a specimen cup. So the 
Uh, you have this broad surface area exposed. The temperature drops very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exposure to light, the pH change, uh, all, the sperm are triggered. Their shock proteins go off. Interesting. Uh, they're looking for an egg, and I got to go now, now. So interesting. So how would you describe your like the actual specimen collection cup that you guys have that's different? Like you know, everyone's picturing a urine, a urine sample cup for like what they've normally done, but how, for people who haven't seen your product, how do you describe okay. it? Uh, it's, uh, it's the same size uh-huh. as a specimen cup, uh, approximately. Uh, the outside of the cup is um, an insulative plastic. Mm-hmm. There's a liner inside the cup uh, that if you can picture a funnel, it's conical shaped. And in the, the bottom, there's a, a small well uh, that's uh, will hold five milliliters, mm-hmm. uh, and that well is suspended in the cup. So there's 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 no contact where the sample is at to the outside at all. Got it. And there's uh, dead air in there that that provides insulation. The cup can be used dry. We recommend that one milliliter of processing media is added to the cup before the collection. Processing media is the same media that the the lab is going to use to to wash and process the sample for for analysis. Uh uh, There's nothing different there in that, except that nobody ever thought about using media before. Where where does one get that as a user? uh, uh, The clinic supplies it. Gotcha. So they would hand this cup to the, the couple and you can collect in clinic or it allows them to collect at home and they mm-hmm. give them a milliliter. Mm-hmm. So it is the, the, it's an anti-stat plastic. So the, the sample very quickly goes to the well. Uh, it's covered in this media. And so we, we reduce the surface area that's exposed of the sample by 95%, uh, which gives us 10 times the thermal capabilities. So the, the temperature drops very slow. And in uh, actuality, the temperature inside that cup is going to be determined by the sample. Mm-hmm. But the shock proteins don't go off. In essence, the, the sperm keep their kind of quiescence that they had in the body. And in fact, the, the way I like to describe it is, you know, sperm goes into that cup and it's covered like this. You put the lid back on and it goes dark. And so the sperm just go, man, that was a bad dream. You know, I'm okay. And they just kind of still maintain their slow movement wake up none mm-hmm. of the proteins are set off so they don't go into the the process of you know all the sperm have an acrosome or a, a covering uh, that's on the head that has to be intact and that has to be used to attach uh, to an egg and so the if you can keep them quiet you can keep them from the shock proteins going off then uh, they they stay healthy and mm-hmm. so the, the bottom line is this uh, in terms of uh, the couple and the clinic, uh, there's not one hour to process this sample. You have 48 hours that it's stable. Mm-hmm. So you can collect at home, which when COVID came along, more of that started. This is the perfect way to do that. The clinics don't have to you know, run around like their hair's on fire trying to get things processed. They've got plenty of time to do it. It stays stable. Uh, actually, the uh, for an andrologist, which is the, uh, the person that's going to be looking at the samples, uh, one of the things that we explain to them, we provide instructions for them, is when they first look at the sample, uh, they're not going to see as many sperm moving as they're accustomed to seeing. Mm-hmm. And that's because nobody's, you know, has 
shock the protein and, and the sperm to take off. And so our in our cup, the, the sperm wake up slowly and they maintain this rate. So at a, say a six hour window, uh, which in our mind is uh, typically by six hours, you're gonna be processing the uh, motility and the ability to fertilize an egg when it's collected in, in our cup versus a specimen cup, 50%. Wow. Okay. So, so that's huge. That's a huge amount. Yes. Yep. It's so interesting that, you know, the engineering and the design behind this, you know, has made such a difference in your, in your findings, at least with the, like you said, the increase in motility and the fertilization capability, slowing the cooling rates, you know, and increasing conception rates in animals. And according to what you guys sent me, there's early results that, you know, ongoing humans are testing it, right. But showing similar data. Yes. Yes. And when we looked in the IUI side, which is uh, where we really think there may be the the biggest application for this, in the IUI side, uh, the chemical pregnancy rate is uh, approximately the same, uh, regardless of how you collected. Uh, but the percentage of uh, that go on to actual heartbeat uh, is approximately thirty percent higher if uh, our device is used. So the for us, that's uh, that's confirming that the sperm are healthier, chromosomes are staying intact, and so they've um, they have the ability to go ahead and attach and and to go to heartbeat. So we're, we're we are very excited. Our scientific advisory board is very excited. Columbia is mm-hmm. excited so much so that we're going to go ahead and uh, make people aware of that data, but then follow through to to actual heartbeats. Not to heartbeats, to uh, you know, live births, right? Because that's you know, that's the the name of the game. Absolutely. Well, uh, I find it so interesting that you, you know, one thing I love about people who have gone through their own fertility journeys is, you know, so many people, including yourself, have created, you know, or or joined a company or a product or some sort of innovation that is hoping to make it an easier road for those following behind us. So thank you for that. And I can tell you're so passionate about it. And I love that you're, you know, carrying on your wife's legacy by doing what you can to help other couples. So Mm -hmm. I would love to wrap by just, you know, asking if you had any advice for people who might be listening, you know, I know that you guys were going through this decades ago at this point, but, you know, for anybody who might be listening, who's like, losing hope or just feeling so down about what they're going through? Any words or something you wish you would have known then? I wish we would have, and this is back to a comment you made earlier, I wish there had been groups around that we could talk to and to get help. Don't lose hope. Pray about it. Talk to your your friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing like a support group around you. And there's a lot of failures that can happen along the way. That's, That's part of the journey just uh, uh, to keep the faith and yeah. uh, without plugging too much, ask, ask your clinic about Protex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'll give you a short anecdotal story of why I'm saying that. Because we had, uh, as we were going through research, we had a, a couple that uh, were, were trying to have kids. Uh, they couldn't. Uh, they collected the, collected the mail uh, four different times. Uh, and uh, he had a range of uh, sperm count that was, I think the the best was like 4.3 million to like 1.8. His average was like 
2.29 million, which sounds like a lot Mm -hmm. in terms of being able to try the most basic uh, procedures, which is IUI. Uh, at least the, the this particular clinic, their cutoff was uh, five million. If your account's below five million, there's you know not much chance it's going to work. So you got to mm-hmm. go right to IVF. And this couple, uh, it's not much different than many couples. They can't afford that, right? Which is unfortunate. You know the you know we have what seven eight million couples going through this, and there's only a couple million that can actually go to treatment. You know, mm-hmm. just uh, struggle with this. Right. They said, well, we can't do that. Uh, we can't afford it. We can barely afford IUI. Uh, so, said, well, uh, there's this new device that's being developed. Uh, let's collect in that and, and see what happens. And bottom line is his count was 12 million. Wow. And that's uh, what that's illustrating is the damage that's done with the way things are collected today happens very quickly from the time that the sample gets into the container. Mm -hmm. The time that most labs are able to analyze, uh, there's been a huge drop-off already. Yeah. You don't know, uh, and I'll say it this way, the testing that they use is very, very accurate, but the sample they're testing is not. Okay. So the, you know, maybe you're on the borderline, maybe you need to ask for, collection to be taken another way and let's see what your real sperm count is like. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to John once again for sharing his story and for sharing what he got out of his journey and how he's helping others today. So you guys are awesome for always listening to these stories. I know they're all so different and I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all my guests for coming forward, pitching me stuff. I'm always, you know, wanting to give you guys as much diverse content as possible. So thanks again to everybody. We've got so many other good stories coming up in the queue. So keep listening, subscribe if you haven't already, rate and review us if you haven't already. And also one more thing is if you guys are looking for community, you know, the Fertility Rally is there for you. This is the place Blair and I created because we wanted community 24-7. We wanted a badass sisterhood. And now we have it. We're over 325 members strong worldwide growing every month join our family we'd love to have you no matter where you're at and what you're going through so you can check us out on ig at fertility rally and you can check us out online at fertilityrally.com. we are actually open the first week of every month so we are open right now our membership doors are open so you can join us monthly or annually and we would love to have you join our support groups join our private facebook groups and just join this amazing community that is here to lift you up. So thanks again for listening and I hope to see you guys soon.